Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We are talking about some things that Jesus said about prayer. And just an update here. We, we looked at Matthew's gospel chapter 6 because Jesus in response to his disciples request. They said Lord teach us to pray. He taught them what we call the Lord's prayer. Um, in the prior verses 5 through 8. He talked about when you pray don't use vain repetitions. When you pray don't pray to be seen of men. In other words it's not just a public thing. And it's not something that you do in vain repetition but then he taught him the Lord's prayer now isn't it something that the disciples or Jesus nowhere in the Bible do you see him praying that prayer those are prayer principles that we'll talk about we've been talking about that but we don't see them praying it and he said don't pray with vain repetition but yet that prayer has become one that people use in vain repetition They'll say it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. The Lord's Prayer. But he was teaching them how to pray. Because they asked, teach us to pray. And so he was teaching them how to pray. So let's read the Lord's Prayer. And we'll continue our study. After this matter, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, or in earth, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, we said that there are six principles. One is repeated, but we're going to still stress it that way that it's six. So we start, number one, with praise. It begins with praise. If we're going to pray, then begin with praise. We enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart into his courts with praise. So in other words, we're to come before his throne with praise. And then secondly, petition. The petition of prayer. Then the provision of prayer. And then also the pardon. Forgive us. The pardon. And then also the protection. Protect us. Keep us safe, in other words. And finally, it ends, number six, with praise again. So it begins with praise. It ends with praise. And everything in the middle is petition. So you could say praise is the bookend. And the petition is all in the middle. So we're talking about the petition of prayer tonight. But before that we talked about last week about praise. And we talked about how we start by saying our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Our father is a revelation of intimacy that we have with God. You may think that that's minor. But it's not. Because back before that, they only saw him as God. And they saw him as cold, distant, mean individual up there just waiting for them to do something wrong that he can whip them or beat them. And that was a wrong picture that they had of God. So Jesus came to reveal him as a loving, caring, heavenly father. And that kind of floored them. He said, look, when you pray, go to your father. Our father. Sometimes even when I hear ministers today pray, they say, oh, God. I'm just thinking that's so impersonal. No, it's like, you're, it's like a child going to his father. 
Don't you love it when your child says, Daddy, Daddy. I mean, you can ask Dante when my daughter's, <laughs> he's shaking his head already. When she says, Daddy, that's it. I'm a puddle. What do you want, honey? <laughs> She's 23, he said. <laughs> but I haven't denied you either, so. <laughs> oh, boy. So our Father, who art in heaven, it means he's above all things. He's in the highest seat. We're appealing to the highest court in the universe where he is seated upon the throne. Can you imagine going anywhere else when you can go there? Father, my father, you're in heaven. You know all things. You see all things. You're above all things. You're above every principality, above every power. Anything that I can go to, you're above it all. Hallowed be your name. And oh, this is so important. In the first four commandments, one of them he says, don't take my name in vain. Don't use my name in an empty way, is what he's saying. Don't do that. God's name is to be revered. Hallowed means to revere, highly regard and respect his name, to honor his name as holy. Something that is so holy, like the Jews won't even use G blank D. They don't suit G-O-D. It's, if they write an article, read a Jewish article, it's G underline and then D. And they leave the O out because they won't do it. It's too holy for them to even say God. Now, think about how people use God today. I'm convicted if I hear somebody say, for them really, O, and then use God that way. I'd rather say gosh, I'd rather say goodness, oh my goodness, or something like that. You know why? It's so holy. We don't want to be disrespectful in any way to the name of the Lord our God. And sometimes we can become insensitive to that, or we can become callous to that, or put it this way, our conscience can become seared. If we can misuse the name of the Lord our God that is so holy that people won't even write it out, and we think nothing of it, there's no conviction there. Something is wrong. Something is missing. I'm not saying that to bring condemnation or guilt upon anyone, but just rethink it. Oh, my goodness is a whole lot better than oh, and then use God's name that way. And using the name of Jesus. You ever wonder why the people of the world, when secular people that are in the world that don't know Christ or whatever, why is it that they use his name in vain? You ever hear them say, oh, Buddha. Oh, Confucius, Moon, Krishna, you don't hear that, but they use the name. Why? Why do they use that name? You know why? Because the devil detests that name. The devil wants to de dishonor that name that's so honorable and make it unholy. Can't stand it. So it's important that we as believers recognize Father Man, you're in heaven above all things. And your name is holy. I'm telling you, we talked about this last week. I thought we were going to get raptured out of here. When we think about how holy the name of the Lord our God is. And let's never misuse it or use it in such a flippant way. It's holy. Okay, the next segment. Look at verse 10. 
I'm sorry, before we even go there, look at Second Chronicles chapter 20, because this gives us an example. This just came up to me as I was studying this again this evening. This is Jehoshaphat. Remember when Jehoshaphat and the army of Judah, they were coming against, these three armies were coming against them? Mm-hmm. Okay. And he found himself in a pickle, a dilemma. They were about to be annihilated, right? Hard place to be in. Difficult place to be in. You might think you've been there once or twice yourself. You got the devil, the world, and the flesh coming against you. These three armies coming against you, right? He said, look, I don't know what to do. Man, what are we going to do? And so he called for a fast, and they started to fast and pray about what to do in this situation. And here's how he begins his prayer. This is part of his prayer. He said, O Lord God of our fathers, that's a covenant statement. Are, now notice this, art not thou God where? See, he knew him as God, not Father. And where is he? In heaven. Do you see that? He's appealing to God, who is in heaven above all things. And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? You could almost hear him saying the Our Father right there, or the Lord's Prayer. Man, our Father, you're in heaven, man. You're above all this. I got these three armies coming against me. They want to kill us. They want to wipe us out. They want to kill our children, our wives, etc., etc. But aren't you above it all? Aren't you above it all? Don't you have power over all this? You sure do. And they went on to say, man, our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. And you said that if we would call upon your name, you'd intervene. So you can almost see that mixed in his prayer and Jesus is teaching us how to pray so look at Matthew 6 10 look at the principle of prayer called the petition of prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven let's start with thy kingdom come the word kingdom means the reign r-e-i-g-n reign the king has come he's the king hits his dominion the king's dominion is reigning over something. A king reigns over his dominion. He doesn't have authority outside his reigning geographical area. But within, he's the reigning king. Well, how many of you know that when Jesus came to the earth, the king came? He's the king of the kingdom. So the king has come. He's the one who has dominion, and he came with dominion over what? His reign was as far-reaching as the world. His reign was over the animal kingdom, the vegetable kingdom. Think about it. He spoke to the wind, the waves, and the sea, and they obeyed him. He spoke to trees, and they obeyed him, right? So he was the king, and he had dominion over everything, as Adam did from the very beginning. Well, the kingdom of God has come. Look at Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. This is John the Baptist and what he's doing, he's telling the people to repent. He's baptizing them in water and he says this, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it's here now. It has come. The kingdom of God has come to the earth. The king is here. This is his dominion. He is reigning over all the earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, 
What this means is that he has come to set up a kingdom here upon the earth within our hearts and lives so that his reign is in our lives first and then without second. So the petition is here that his reign praise God, would be over all the earth, that people would keep his laws and commandments, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be advanced upon the earth, that the will of God would be established as being done once and for all in the earth. But it starts with each and every one of us first and foremost. As he was here upon the earth, he reigned over all things. He spoke, as I said, to the wind, waves, and the sea, and they all obeyed him because he was the king and they obeyed him. They understood his dominion. They knew his authority and power. When demons confronted him, they said, we know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. We know that you are the Son of God. We know that. Have you come to torment us before the time? And so, in other words, they recognized the fact that he had power and authority over them all. In the book of Luke 17, we see a revelation here of the kingdom of God coming within. Too often we are looking without for things to happen, not recognizing the powerful force that we have within. In Luke 17, 20 and 21, when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall ye say, lo, here or there, lo, there, for the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God, the reign of God is within you. It's within me. You know, God's able to do for us exceeding abundantly of all that we ask or think how, according to the power that's operating on the inside of us, we have the kingdom. It's come to us. It's a twofold thing. It's a progressive thing and a twofold thing. The kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ when he walked upon the earth, but he's left and he's gone back to the father. But you could see the effect that he had here walking in kingdom dominion as he lived his life here upon the earth. In three and a half years, he did so much by the hand of God, the power of God that was operative in his life. We are told that if the books were written about the things that he did, the universe would not be able to contain all the books. We thank God that we've got the Bible here. But if the world could not contain all that he did when he was here upon the earth, can you imagine how much more he did that we do not know about? When he was here upon the earth, the king had come. His dominion was right here upon the earth. And he demonstrated himself to be who he was, the son of almighty God who created all things that are in this world. And he's telling the people, look, don't look for a kingdom that comes from without. Look for a kingdom that's on the inside of you. The kingdom of God is within you. It's come to you. And until that kingdom on the earth comes, the millennial kingdom of, and reign of Christ upon this earth, which is a future kingdom that's going to be coming, Pray that the will of God be done. Establish the will of God as being done on earth as it is in heaven. Is what he's trying to communicate to the people. But where's the kingdom of God? In you and it's in me. We have it on the inside. If you've been born again, washed in the blood of the lamb. You know what? The kingdom of God has come unto you. It's within you. It's not from without. So the kingdom of God means that you and I have been given. We have given him dominion over our lives. And he is reigning over our lives from our heart and it's a progressive thing it doesn't happen all at once and we have to cooperate with him now in Matthew's gospel chapter 13 Jesus in this chapter talked much about the kingdom of God and look at some of these verses to show you what I'm talking about verse 24 another parable 
put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. And he's talking about sowing seeds of wheat and so on. And when you see that, you realize that a seed does not produce overnight, does it? Go on down to verse 31 and 32. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. How many of you know when you put that seed into the ground? It's the smallest of all seeds. It's a pure seed. When you put it into the ground, when you wake up in the morning, it is not 30 feet tall. Did you ever notice that? Did you even expect that? Not at all, did you? Okay, look at verse 33. Another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like. Notice he's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. What the kingdom is like. What the kingdom is like. It's like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. So in other words, what's he trying to communicate to to the people in these parables about the kingdom? The kingdom starts small, but then progressively it grows in a person's life. The reign of God starts small when you first give your heart to Jesus. But if you'll stay walking with him, it'll grow and mature in you. And you'll give him full reign over your life. When you first got saved, you didn't give him full reign. You may have given your heart. But how many of you know there were some things you had to also give over to him along the way? And it wasn't instantaneous that you began to experience the full reign of the kingdom of God in your life. We're all growing, are we not? We're maturing in the things of God. So... We've given him our heart, but we want him to reign or have dominion over all of our lives. In our speech, our conduct, our character, the way we present ourselves, the people skills that we develop and all that. To speak the truth, but do so in love. I've matured a little bit along that line of speaking the truth in love. You see, way back when, when I first got saved, I would tell people, you know, you're going to hell. (laughs) I didn't go over too well with people. I've learned since then that you can speak the truth, but speak it in love and not have to just come across so harsh. And we don't use the word of God to browbeat people or to whip people into submission to God. You know what? It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. I had a zeal toward God, but not according to knowledge. It took time, but I began to learn little bit by little bit, line upon line, precept upon precept. I began to learn how to operate in the things of God. And you know what? It takes humility to do that. We, we must humble ourselves before God and just say, I realize I've been born again, but I want your full reign in my life. I want to give complete dominion over to you so that in every way I can honor you in spirit and soul and in body. And also with my finances and everything else, I want to see to it that I put you first and let you have reign over my life and all that pertains to who I am. That's progressive. It doesn't happen instantaneously. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Where here we have the apostles you would think they would get it. You would think they would get it. Wouldn't you think you'd get it after a while? You know how much he talked about the kingdom of God to them? It's over a hundred times it's mentioned that Jesus talked about the kingdom in the Bible, in the, in the Gospels. Over a hundred times he talked about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Okay, he's resurrected from the dead and he appears to his disciples. He's about to ascend on high and take his place at the right hand of God and listen to what they say. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He's probably just like, really? Seriously? 
And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses of me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what he did? He directed their attention to where the kingdom really is. It's not about outwardly things. It's, the kingdom is not about restoring the kingdom once again. In other words, authority for them to reign, have dominion as a, as a nation once again, and be delivered from Roman uh, tyranny and all that. They didn't get it. The kingdom of God, he is saying, is not delivering you from these ex external outward powers. It's delivering you from death that's on the inside and the powers of darkness that held you in bondage and captivity. And so then he goes on saying, says, look, you're going to receive power when the Holy Ghost has come into your life and you'll be empowered. You'll have dominion. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, look what it says. This is a whole lot better than being delivered from Rome. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. When you and I were unregenerate, when we did not know God, we were walking in the kingdom of darkness. We are a part of that dark family, the family of darkness that didn't know God. And who was our ruler? The devil himself was ruler over our lives. He reigned. His dominion was over our lives. He controlled us like a puppet on a string. You realize that? But when you and I got washed in the blood of the Lamb, praise God, He pulled us up out of the miry clay. He uprooted us from the kingdom of darkness and He planted us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And in that kingdom, praise God, He's empowered us by the Holy Ghost so that by the power of the Spirit we can reign as kings in life by one Christ Jesus. How about that? Rather than being reigned over, we can reign as kings in life by one Christ Jesus. By the gift of, of grace and righteousness, we reign as kings in life by one Christ Jesus. So, our Father, intimacy, who art in heaven above all things, holy is your name. Man, till your kingdom comes and he sets up his millennial kingdom upon the earth, I'm here to enforce your will to be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. As it is where? In heaven. Well, let's look about, talk about that. The second part that we're going to look at is thy will be done. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It starts with him. We're praising him. And the petition starts with enforcing his will on earth, not our own. Remember when Jesus was at the rock in the garden, he knew he had to go and die the death upon Calvary's cross. Look at what he said in Matthew 26 and verse 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. He had a will and the father had a will. And it was up to him to decide what he would do with his will. It's not my will. Now, my will is not to really go through with all this because I know what's going to happen. But Jesus exalted the Father's will above his will. You realize that we all are challenged every day in our lives with that? It's my will or his will. See, it's up to us to make choices. He's given us his will, a will to follow. We can follow our will. We can follow his will. That's what this life is all about. Ultimately, that's what it's about. Making decisions to honor him and surrender his will and not do our will. So it's up to us as to whether or not we're going to open up our Bible today. It's my will as to what I'll do with that, what I'm going to pray, if I'm not going to pray, if I'm going to give or I'm not going to give. God's not going to twist my arm to make me do something 
that he wants me to do. When he brought, when, when the prophet told Naaman to go to the river and dip seven times, guess what? He said, I got better rivers than you got here. Mine are cleaner than yours are. I don't want to get contaminated by jumping in that Ohio River. I mean, so Farpar and all those other rivers that are there. Right? I'm not going to go in there and, and, and get all, you know, contaminated. Now, I've already got leprosy. What else are you going to give me? I'm going to go back to my clean waters where I came from. And he just went in a huff and just walked away like, my will be done, not thine will be done. And what did his servants just say? Oh, master, he didn't tell you to do anything too hard. Not too difficult for you to just jump in that water seven times and you come out no leprosy? Are you kidding me? He had a change of heart and mind, didn't he? he turned around and went and jumped. He did what God said to do. He did God's will. You know, God's will is better than ours. Amen. God's ways are better than ours. And he came out clean. He came out whole. So it's up to us to see to it that we surrender to the will of God and we do what God tells us to do the way he tells us to do it. And again, that's a humbling thing. But it's, got a, it's a decision we've got to make. Remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, what he said here? Paul giving instructions to the church here at Thessalonica. Notice in everything, not for everything, but in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What is the will of God? In every situation, give thanks. Didn't say for the situation, but in the situation. If you find yourself in a difficult situation, you know how you can give thanks? Oh, I thank you, dear Father, that you're above all this. You're in heaven above all this. You see all things. You know all things. Praise God. You're above all things. Hallowed be your name. Glory to God. I lift up your holy name in this place. I'm going to do what Paul did, what Silas did. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to squall and bawl and just cry out and have a pity party about what I'm going through and be, have, be one of those with the victim mentality. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, hallowed be your name. You're above it all, greater than it all. And so I'm going to lift up my voice on high and I am going to give thanks to you for being greater than the problem, bigger than the situation. No mountain is too big for you to pull down the size, praise God. No river is for, too deep for you to get me across. If I got to walk across that Red Sea on dry land, I'm going to do it by the power of your might. In other words, give thanks unto the Lord for his divine intervention because through him you can run through a troop and leap over a wall, praise God, when he's on your side. And so rather than complain, because you know what complaining does? Let me just say it like this. Words connect us either to God or to the devil himself. You ready for that one? The words we speak contain life or death. Death and life are in the power of the what? tongue. So our words will connect us to God or our words will connect us to the evil one. He wants us to start saying things like, why am I going through this now? I just don't believe it. Man, if God really loved me, he'd be doing this and he'd be doing that. God mustn't love me. Doesn't care about me. It's all because of my faults, my failures, my shortcomings. You know what? You're playing right into his hands. You're doing exactly what he wants you to do. You're saying exactly what he wants you to say. Why? Because as Job said, the fear that I greatly feared has come upon me. How did it happen to him? The fear I greatly feared came upon me. Fear opens up the door to the work of the enemy. But when you start declaring what the word of God says, you know what? You're giving the Holy Ghost something to work with. When you speak the word of God in a situation, you give the Holy Ghost something to work with. Hallelujah. So when Paul and Silas were in prison and they were beaten and they were 
their, their hands and their feet were fast in the stalks and they began to give thanks unto the Lord for his divine intervention. They connected with God, made a highway for him to move and he moved in a powerful and glorious way and brought deliverance into their lives and set them free. So our words connect us, whether to the enemy or to God. I'd rather have God than the enemy. What about you? So when we're facing circumstances and situations that are adverse, what are we supposed to do? Give thanks unto the Lord and count it all joy, knowing that our God is above it all. Our Father is above it all. Amen. And he's more than enough to bring it to pass. And we're doing exactly what he said to do. So that's his will. Now, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven was something that took place when Jesus was here. In John 6, 38, you can see it clearly. If God's will, like some people say, is whatever happens is the will of God, if everything that happens is the will of God, then why did Jesus teach his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? If everything that happens is the will of God, then there's no need to pray. Because it's automatically done. But the point is this, it's not automatically done. And it won't be done on earth until somebody prays. Till somebody stands in the gap and makes up the hedge and agrees with God's word and gives the Holy Ghost something to work with. Okay, John 6, 38. For I came down from where? Where's our father at? Where was Jesus at? What did he do? He came down from heaven. He came down as the will of God on earth. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So the father sent him, why? Because his will wasn't being done on earth as it is in heaven. So he sends Jesus, his son, to come down to the earth and say, show those people my will. I want them to see my will on, in, in earth as it is in heaven. Can you imagine walking with Jesus? There's a storm, we're going to drown. What? He's waking up from sleep. What would you say? We're going to drown, don't you care? Peace be still. Calm. What manner of man is this? And he speaks to the waves and the sea and they obey him. Oh my. Was the will of God the storm or the calm? It was the calm. It was not the storm. Isn't that right? Sure. That was the will of God. When we see Jesus healing the sick, setting the captives free, raising the dead, and doing all that he did, multiplying food, loaves, and fishes, and the main being made whole. When we see all that happening, what is that? When we see him forgiving a woman in adultery and telling, telling her, your sins are forgiven you. Or he tells the man that was healed, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come on you. What is he doing? He's establishing the fact that the will of God is for everybody to be set free, delivered, and made whole. And that's why he came. To demonstrate the father heart of God. To show the love of God. And the peace of God. And to bring people to a place of understanding. That God is a loving, caring, wonderful, heavenly father. He's not the cause of the problems that take place on planet earth. That is the enemy. The thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. But I came to give life to you. And that more abundantly. That comes from the father. And he says, anything you see me do, I didn't do it. I take no credit for it whatsoever. People think that Jesus did it. He said, ah, oh, it wasn't me. They want to lift him up. He said, no, no, it wasn't me. It was my father. He did it. He and me, he did the works. I want you to see clearly the father as your father. And your father's in heaven. 
And he sees over you. He's above all things that you're going through. He knows who you are. He knows what you're going through. And his name is a holy, holy name. And you have access to it because you're his child. Until his kingdom comes, pray that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know how it is in heaven? It's a wonderful way. Um, Look at uh, Revelation 21 verse 4 if you don't believe me. How do we know the will of God? Go to the beginning and you find out the will of God. In the Garden of Eden, when all that was there was beautiful. No sin, sickness, disease, mental anguish, or anything of that nature existed. No financial lack in any way. I don't think there was any currency at that time. I don't think there was a stock market at that time. I don't think there was a casino there either. Not even a budget. Right? It was all there for the taking. It's all yours. This bountiful place all belongs to you guys. Enjoy it all. Right? Well, that was marred when man chose to step out of the will of God into the will of Satan and died. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. Right? It affected every kingdom of the world that was created by the hand of God. That was at the beginning when it was perfect. Then it was imperfect. Jesus came when he walked on the earth and made it a whole lot better than what it was, right? Everywhere he went. But look at this. This is the very end. Are you ready for it? Did you bring your shouting clothes tonight? Are you wearing them tonight? You ready to let go? At that time, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. For the former things are passed away. Somebody shout amen, 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 hallelujah. That is the will of God for all humanity. No more sin, no more sickness, no more disease, no more mental anguish, no more Parkinson's, no more dementia, right? No more Alzheimer's, no more rheumatoid arthritis, right? None of that any longer, no cancer, no tuberculosis, no heart disease, none of that will exist. It was that way in the beginning, it'll be that way in the end. We're in the middle of it. We've got an enemy wanting to destroy us. Kill, still destroy. But Jesus came to give us life. That's his will. What a good will that he has. And he proved it when he walked here upon the earth and did everything that he did. Amen. So that's how it's going to be. Now, 1 John 5. What does this have to do with prayer? Oh, everything in the world. Look at 14 and 15. Look at what it says. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask. Everybody say ask. I want you to hear this. Ask. Because we have to ask. Anything according to his will. He heareth us. How do we have to ask? How can we ask according to his will if we don't know his will? We have to know his will to ask according to his will. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, how will we know he hears us? Because we ask according to his will. So if we know he hears us, whatsoever we ask, then we know we have the petition we desired of him. So we have to ask. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, then we know we have the petition we desired him. So in other words, we have to roll up our sleeve and discover what the will of God is before we ask. Now, it's important to know this. Before it's about us, it's about God. In the, begin, in the beginning of the prayer, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
That's about God. At the end, he says, for Zion is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's about God. It begins with God. It ends with God. But when he said in the middle of that, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Notice it's all about us. Can you see that? Who's it about in the middle? Us. Who's about the beginning and the end? God. So what's important to establish? The will of God. Because when we know the will of God, then we can ask about us. And then we know it'll be done and we'll give him all the praise, honor, and glory he deserves for doing it or manifesting it, making it a reality. So in the beginning, it's about God. The end is about God. In the middle, it's about us. There's nothing wrong with asking for us the things that he taught us to do in prayer. Ask. Praise God. Ask about yourself, your family, your marriage, your children, your finances, your job, your ministry, whatever it is, ask about us. Nothing wrong with that. That's not selfishness whatsoever. He's told us how to pray that way. He told his disciples to pray that way. So it's up to us to ask. Now, look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 6 and verse 8. He instructed everybody to ask. He says to ask, be ye not ye therefore like unto them. For your father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. Did he go on to say, so don't ask him? No. The people that say, well, if God really wants to do it, he'll do it. No, 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 no. He didn't say that. He didn't say, look, if you need something, you can ask God if it be his will. He didn't say to pray that way. He didn't say, whatever you have need of, your father knows it, so you don't have to ask him. So it's important we understand that he said, you've got to ask, even though the father knows you need it. So ask. So there's nothing wrong with asking. As a matter of fact, in James chapter, well, before we go there, look at Matthew chapter 7. Jesus taught about asking. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, after he taught them to pray this prayer or the principles of prayer, look what he says in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Say with me, ask. Notice he says, ask. And it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock it shall be opened. For everyone that what? Asks. Receives. He that seeks find. To him that knocks it shall be opened to him. Or what man is there among you? Whom if his son should what? Ask. Bread would he give him a stone? Or if he asked a fish. Will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil or natural. Know how to give goods to your children. How much more shall your father which is in heaven. Give good things to them that what? How many times did he say ask? Ask. 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 Now in John's gospel. In chapter 14. And remember chapter 13. They celebrated the, Lord, uh, the Lord's supper. He instituted the Lord's supper. He washed their feet. Right? And then chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus that he prayed for the people. But in 14, 15, 16, notice what he's teaching them. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you let me keep my commandments. Look at John 16, or 15 rather, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall what? Ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Look at John 16, 23 and 24. And that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto you have asked 
nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. You think he wants us to ask? How many times did he repeat ask, 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 ask? Now James 4, verse 3. Your notes are wrong. My fault. James 4, 3. Mine says 4, but it's 3. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. You have not because you ask not was the previous verse. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. So if you don't ask, you're not going to receive. And even though the Father knows we have need of certain things, if we don't ask, then we're not going to receive. But then again, he says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. In other words, with a wrong motive or attitude or not knowing the will of God, which we've already covered. So when Jesus is teaching them this Lord's Prayer, he's teaching them the need for them to understand certain principles. You have a loving, caring, heavenly Father who's greater than any father who ever lived. He is above all things in heaven. He's in a good position where he sees the whole circle of life. He has a better vantage point. He sees all about the ins and outs of your situation. He knows the right move to make, the wrong move to make. He knows all that because he's in heaven. His name is a holy name that you have a right to whisper or to use in prayer. You can go before the throne and say, Abba, Father, hallowed be your name. The kingdom's come. It's in you right now. The will of God is to be established and done now before the millennial reign of Christ comes. Because when he comes, he comes, he's going to reign. Satan will be gone. He'll be dismissed from the earth. He'll be in the lake of fire for a thousand years. And Jesus will set up his millennial kingdom. You think he'll be in control? Hey, if you think that what he did when he was here for three and a half years ruled, wait till you see his 1,000 year millennial reign when he reigns in glory. He was limited by the flesh. Can you see him just bebopping around? Sip, 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 sip. What was that? Boop, I'm there. Can you imagine that? He's everywhere at the same time. No, my point is, he's going to reign for a thousand years on this earth. And the will of God will be done on earth. In earth. As it is in heaven. What a beautiful time that's going to be. And we're going to reign with him. Don't you love that? On the earth. In earth. All right. Look at our closing text. Psalms 20. I have three different translations to make a point. In Psalm 20 and verse 5. This is the New Living Translation. May we shout for joy. When we hear of your victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God, may the Lord answer some, a few, how many, Aaron? Does that really mean all? Of course. How many of your prayers? All of your prayers. Look at the uh, New King James Version of it. We will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Hmm. And then finally, the ESV, English Standard Version of the Bible. Look at what it says. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all. Everybody say all. All, all your petitions. So you think he wants to do that? 
So the Lord's Prayer starts with God. It ends with God in between. It's all about us. But you know what? Before it's all about us, it's all about Him. It's all about Him first. And then it's about us. And so we praise Him for our aligning ourselves with His will. So His will will be done on earth, in earth, as it is in heaven, in our lives. And He'll reign over our hearts and over our lives. As we give Him every, we give Him dominion in every area of our lives. And that's how we progressively grow in the things of God. So it's important that we do our best to learn as much as we can about the will of God and realize and recognize that not everything on earth that happens is the will of God. And if we recognize that, find out what the will of God is and then ask according to his will, what will he do? Fulfill all our requests, all our petitions. So our father who art in heaven, oh, holy is your name. Father, until your kingdom comes, I'm here to establish your will to be done on earth as Jesus did in earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. I want your will done in my life. And you ready for this one? His will being done in our lives as individual is enormous. You know what? His will for us is wonderful. He wants us to emulate the very life of Christ, to be conformed to his very image and likeness. He wants to occupy number one place in our hearts and lives. He wants to rule and reign in dominion over every area of our lives. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, our deeds, and including our finances and everything else. I'll be honest with you. When Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is also, you know what? He knows that if he can get you as far as your finances are concerned, he has your heart. Remember my testimony when I first got saved, I gave my heart to Jesus and I wanted to give my tithes and offerings but couldn't afford it because of all the bills that I had. And I was living like normal people from pay to pay back then, working in the mill, pay to pay and everything. And when I got saved, I gave my heart to Jesus. I'll tell you what I said, Lord, I, I want to honor you with my giving and I can't do it right now. So you know what? Brand new house I just moved into. If that's the case, that's not going to be a stumbling block to me. I'm not going to wait till I can afford to give to you what, is, what belongs to you, what's rightfully yours was in my heart to do. I said, I'm selling this house so I can pay my tithes. That's what I'm doing. Brand new house just moved in. You can imagine the excitement being a young person moving into a brand new house, never lived in before, worked in the mill, had a pretty good, decent paying job and everything and excited about it. Get saved and said, okay, you're first place in my life. I'm going to do this. Some lady comes over. She's the uh, real estate agent, I tell her, I'm going to sell the house. It's a brand new house. She comes into our development and she just says, other houses aren't even built up yet. And, it's, and you're going to sell your house? Have you been called to go you know, work somewhere else? I said, no. Can I ask you then why you want to sell the house? Is there some problem with it and all that? I said, no. Well, then why do you want to sell it? I said, to pay my tithes. She looked at me with a double take. She said, what? No one's ever told me that before. As many years I've been selling real estate, you serious? She said, yeah. Then she said, I'm a Baptist. She said, I, I understand what you're saying, but I never heard anybody say that before. I said, that's why I want to sell it. I want to honor my God and pay my tithes. And I said, so I'd rather sell the house and it doesn't matter to me where I live. I could live in a shoebox somewhere as far as I'm concerned. She said, okay, let's put on the market. I said, okay, put on the market. I went to work that afternoon, came back that night, 11 o'clock at night. She came over to my house and signed the papers that was sold. She was astounded. She couldn't believe it. Within a 24-hour period, the house is, is gone. It wasn't even that. It was eight hours. I came back from my shift. I guess she was really wanting to make a sale because she came at my house 11 o'clock at night when I got back home from work. 
and said, here's the papers. We sold the house. It's, 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 it's sold. Imagine that. But you see the motive behind that? Thy will be done. I give you my heart. I treasure. You're my treasure. Amen. Let's stand together before the Lord.